Yo, what's going on, everybody? I am your host, Armand Lee. So, of course, that means you're listening to the Quarterly Report. Thank you so much for rocking with me for another week. And we've got a really fun show this week. Miss C. Jolie from Toronto, baby. We're going international on this episode. She's going to stop by to break down the question that we all have. Can you trust the Toronto Raptors in the playoffs? She covers Toronto. She covers the Raptors in Toronto, I should say. So I'm really looking forward to that interview. Plus, when you think of great rivalries, you think of Ali Frazier. You think of Magic Bird. But now, now we have another great rivalry coming to the forefront in the NBA. It's one of the best things that has happened in this season I'll explain in our fourth quarter. All that plus so much more. But first, our number one topic this first quarter. Yep. You hear the song, so you know what that means. I try not to do these two close together, you know, to give it each its own kind of special feel, but I had to break the glass in case of an emergency this past weekend because this music means that it's time for another edition of Sports Wangster. But this, this version of Sports Wangster isn't going to be someone in the sports world. This is going to be someone from the entertainment world who, if you are new to the show, Sports Wangster is based upon the 50 Cent line from Wangster. Damn, homie, at high school, you were the man, homie. What the boop happened to you, right? And I found myself asking this question this weekend as a super talented rapper, one of the better rappers in the world right now, Walked into the biggest L of his lifetime for no reason. You guys may know who I'm talking about at this point, but let me let me give you some context to what was going on. Killer Mike has been rapping for a minute. You know, uh, I first heard of Killer Mike on you know when when he linked up with Outkast on the whole world. You know, y'all remember that song? Some of y'all probably too young. Y'all don't know it's all good. But you know, way back, I mean, I think I'm. I actually might have been a senior in high school or just finished high school when that song came out. So this version of Sports Wangster actually rings true. Because when I was in high school, Killer Mike was just coming on. And he had a you know a really good solo career. He had the, the Adidas joint that was super hard. You know, and again, Killer Mike could rap, but he had a renaissance probably like eight or so years back with Run the Jewels. Run the Jewels. A lot of y'all already know who they are. Super dope, man. It's a two-man crew, Mike Spitting and the DJ. And he had a reincarnation. I mean, he re I mean, he could always rap. Don't get it twisted. But with Run Run the Jewels, Mike just he took it to a whole nother level. You understand? And he was riding the wave. You know, Run the Jewels is a, a, a very conscious uh group. You know what I'm saying? Mike is talking about a lot of things. Outside of just you know the, the the normal the standard money and girls whatever I mean there's some there's some songs where he's flexing but he's also you know he's got a mind right and you know last year or I guess about two years ago he he was a, a Bernie bro you know somebody who was rocking with Bernie Sanders um, amidst the the uh, presidential run um, and you know I'm not knocking him for that you know God bless the man you know he he used his God given rights as an American to to use his uh, it's freedom of speech to back whatever politician he wants. I don't really try to get down too much into political discourse about 
who people vote or who people uh, rock with in that regard. But that didn't stop him. You know what I'm saying? In fact, him being a, a Bernie bro got him at least like a lot more attention. And it worked well because um, the political landscape kind of blended into what he was talking about in, in a lot of different issues. But Mike, he kicked himself in the ass, man, a few weeks back. I guess a few months back. Time flies now, man. 2018, the tragic shooting at the Parkland School in Miami. Um, we all know about that. And um, a few weeks back, Mike did an interview on NRA TV. <laughs> you know? And, you know, he played himself. He's He got on there. He, he should have known better. But he got on there talking about, you know, gun ownership as it relates to the black community, which is cool. Like, if you're not from – there's a – man, look, I know, some, I know some people who love their guns, you know, brothers who love their guns, sisters who love their guns. So he was bringing uh, light to a large – population of people who you don't really hear about you don't really hear about the 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 gun owners only time you hear about gun owners like responsible gun owners they're like the white you know middle class or blue collar uh middle america or southerner uh who loves their guns but you know every there are a lot of people black white latinx asian everything people who love their guns the problem is Killer Mike got on NRA TV to talk about this. NRA guys don't know. You know, they 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 real suspect in, when it comes to how they get down about gun gun owners and their rights. God bless the dead. They really they were they were real dickheads to Philando Castile and other people of color who have died, although they were responsible gun owners. So he played himself, uh, and the NR and NRA TV used him as a ploy to kind of uh uh, I guess attacked the the Parkland shooter survivors, the kids who have done a great job at trying to get reasonable gun control laws uh, passed in this country, right? And I, you know, in a, in a world and in a time where you could disagree with everything, I think that's fair, no matter what position you stand on. But whatever. But that wasn't the big L, the killer Mike. That was an L. That was an embarrassing L. But you know what? If he would have just took that L in silence, shut the hell up. And just got back into the studio, he could have bounced back. But I'm looking at Killer Mike now, I'm thinking, bro, it could be over for you, Slim. Because last weekend, for no reason, nobody was talking to him. Nobody was thinking about him. Joy Ann Reed, Joy Reed, I know a lot of y'all are familiar with her work. She's got a super dope show, AM Joy, on MSNBC on the weekends. She's on Instagram, you know, taking a selfie, right? Which. Many people do nothing wrong with that, and she has her hair and makeup, um, I guess stylist or whatever, beside her, and they take a picture, all three of them together, in a super dope picture, just being like, "Yo, we look good right now." I want to give big shout out to the ladies who helped me, right? Who styled me today, right? Nothing, nothing crazy. She's like, "Yo, uh, wearing this, boom, 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 like the look H, H slash M, meaning hair and makeup." And she tagged the two ladies who did her hair and makeup. Out of nowhere, your man Killer Mike jump out there like, oh, you going to talk to me about my NRA interview, but you're going to shout out the, the clothing organization who had a black boy and tagged him as a monkey, boom, boom, boom. If you're not familiar, a few months back, H&M, the, the, um, the clothing store, got into a dust-up because they had a black boy 
wearing some clothes and, and a, a shirt and it was like the coolest monkey in the jungle. Some cra some crazy mess that really still irritates the hell out of me as I'm speaking, right? But well, I'm not deflecting. We focused on killing Mike's ass right now. We we got H&M out the paint a long time ago. We focused on killing Mike. Killer Mike must have just been creeping, in, you know, in the bushes, in the leaves, just waiting for Joy and Reed to slip, thinking that they slip, right? And then jumps out, pounces on her, like, aha, I got you. And then so effortlessly, Joy and Reed was like, Mike. <laughs> she responded to the Instagram post saying, H&M means hair and makeup, right? Which it was fairly evident that that's what she was talking about because she tagged the two women in the picture, right? And maybe, maybe it's evident to me because, you know, I, I work in television. So I'm trying not to be like the small TV guy. Everybody knows that. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying not to be that. But I thought it was clear what she was talking about. Because H&M wouldn't make sense in the post. But she really effortlessly killed him, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yo, H&M means hair and makeup. If you want to be an intellectual, you got, you know, don't come, at, don't come for me, basically, is what she was saying. And she played him. And he know he tried to tweet through it, Joe. Again, when you take an L, take it. We all have had to catch that L before in our lifetime. Don't make a scene. Take it in silence. Eat that crow. Chill out for a little bit. Take a 20-second timeout. And get your ass back in the game when the time is right. But nah, not Killer Mike. Killer Mike want to keep on. Try to, he tried to tweet through it. Try to strong arm the situation. Joanne Reed was done with him at that point. Because, man, you dead. Dog, rest in peace. Like, what else does she have to say? So he talked about, oh, man, okay, well, this, that, and the third. I, I wanted to make sure I had the situation right, and boom, boom, boom. Nobody was talking to you, bro. Nobody was talking to you, Killer Mike. And now, apparently, he's going to be on her show, if not this weekend, in the upcoming weeks ahead. And this is the problem. Killer Mike has, and I'm not insulting the man's intelligence. I mean, again, Killer Mike can wrap his ass off. He has a way to communicate and resonate with people. And that is a skill. That is a gift, right? Everybody does not have that. And it does take a certain amount of intelligence to convey messages that are layered. So I please understand I'm not insulting the man's intelligence. But bro, these past few uh, instances are making me question what the hell it is that you are trying to do because she killed you with a pinky. And now you're going to try to, like, if your whole angle when you go on AM Joy is to kind of flex, then, bro, you need to reassess your whole lifestyle. Wash your face. Get your act together. Because this is not this is not what you want. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She put you in the perfect plex. She put you in the Stone Cold Stunner real quick. Light. It was light for her. She killed you. And now I'm thinking, like, Killer Mike has put himself in a position that maybe no other rapper, no other musician has been put in. He is the rapper who still can rap his ass off. Don't get it twisted. Killer Mike can rap, but nobody wants to hear what you got to say. Think about that. You may be the first rapper who is very good, extremely good, but nobody cares what you have to say because you have killed yourself. You sound so stupid now. There are rappers who can rap, who a lot of people want to hear what they have to say. There are rappers who cannot rap. But people still want to hear what they have to say. And there are rappers who cannot rap who nobody wants to hear what they have to say. Somehow, Killer Mike has cornered the market as the only rapper who can rap that nobody, nobody, right? 
he has played himself. You know, there's the little conscious, the backpack rapping crew where people like, you know, but there's still fans for that. It may not be as many fans to that style of music as they are to Drake, but those people, the people who like Run the Jewels, the people who like Killer Mike, are probably the most offended by his actions recently. So who's gonna check for Killer Mike now? Who's checking for that next Run the Jewels album? He voluntarily walked into a career, a potentially career ending L. And for that, and we ain't even talk about the NRA interview, but you know, we gonna throw that in there as well. Killer Mike, God damn, Joe. Damn, homie. In high school, you were the man, homie. In high school, man, in another generation, like I'm 35, when I was in high school, you was the man, and you was more on last year. So somebody who's 17, when they was in high school, you was the man. What the f happened to you? Oh my God, take the L in silence. Let this be a lesson. We all catch L's. Shut up, shut the f up, take your L, and go on about your day. Don't try to tweet through that joint. Don't try to flex on people when you take an L. Nah, bro, the spotlight just happened to be on you. And you not taking the L quietly is amplifying the lights. Take a 20, man, and don't go on AM Joe trying to flex, bro, because that is the worst idea you could, uh, you could even think of. Somebody in his corner need to just tell Keller Mike to shut the hell up. Make some music. You know what I'm saying? Make some music. Get in the booth with Andre and Big Boy and shut the f*** up. <laughs> All right, guys. We started the show off strong with Sports Wingster. But we're going to keep the thing moving with my end of the year awards for the NBA. The regular season has come to an end. It's been an amazing season, but there are still so many questions left as it pertains to who had the best years and who should be awarded for that. So that's our topic for our second story this week. Second quarter. So the NBA season has come and gone, and I've said it before several times. This season has been one of my favorite seasons that I can remember. A little bit later in the show, I'll tell you the number one reason why this has been one of my favorite seasons is because of an unexpected rivalry. But at the end of the year, we always go through the, the NBA awards season, right? where you name your MVP, your All-NBA teams, your Coaches of the Year. And while some of the more high-profile awards aren't really that close, in my opinion, um, the majority of the individual awards and the All-NBA teams have been extremely fascinating to me. So I'm going to give you guys for the second quarter just a little bit of what I'm thinking as I go through not only most of the individual awards, with the exception of Defensive Player of the Year and Rookie of the Year. We'll get to that later. But I'll also try to break down my all-NBA teams. And I'll try to give you my kind of rationale because this season, it's been tough, especially for the all-NBA teams because there have been so many significant injuries. I mean, guys who were having great years, guys who probably uh, would have made an all-NBA team, Kyrie Irving, Steph Curry, just to name a few, don't make the list and they don't make the list. Not because I mean, Steph Curry, the respect Steph Curry has league wide is probably increased these last few weeks after his injury, mainly not because of anything he has done, but because you see how the Warriors struggle, even with Kevin Durant as the league guy without Steph. It's, it's, it's really been amazing for me to watch Golden State struggle so mightily without him. Um, and I think just his greatness has been amplified 
due to his injury. Whereas guys like DeMarcus Cousins and Kyrie Irving, um, their greatness may be even diminished. I don't want to say diminished, but you look at them a little bit differently because you see their team succeed without them. In Kyrie's case, you see Cleveland lose only one less game, I want to say, and Boston continue to win without them. So, you know, we'll get to the all-NBA team discussion in a moment because I think that that's the difficult one. But, of course, where, as it pertains to the NBA individual honors, we're going to start at the top. MVP, and, you know, shout-out to Damian Lillard. Shout-out to um, Anthony Davis, two guys who've had great seasons, two guys who have carried their teams um, improbably. You know what I mean? Like, once DeMarcus Cousins went down, there were a lot of doubts. Like, yo, this this is just a bad move for the Pelicans. But Anthony Davis just, put, he, you know, he got in the phone booth, put on his cape, man. You know, here we are with the Pelicans back in the playoffs for the first time in a few years. And what Damian Lillard did, I mean, he was on a tear. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he had a three-month stretch where you just like, yo, if you don't have lead pass or you don't stay up late to watch the Blazers, you you missed out. Damian Lillard is one of the the best players in the league, and it's crazy when you think that he had to plead just to make the All Star game. You understand what I'm saying? He wasn't he wasn't an original uh, member of the All Star team, if you remember, right? That being said, those two guys had a hell of a year, but unfortunately, you know they're not going to make the cut, and as it turns to the MVP. The MVP race is a two-man race. You guys know the 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 culprits, right? The usual suspects, LeBron James. You can make a case for LeBron James each and every year to win an MVP. Like, I, I, I'm certain most of you guys are like me. The, the Jordan versus LeBron kind of comparison is tiring for me. You know what I mean? If, no matter what, however you feel about the two, you, there's nothing that anyone can say that's going to change your mind. Okay, I personally think that LeBron James is the best player in the world and that LeBron James is top three all time. And he's probably going to end up the second best player of all time. And that's cool. That's a that is not a knock on LeBron. That's not a knock on any of the all time greats. It's just my observation of just how great of a basketball player and how durable he is. But. For me, Michael Jordan's always going to be number one. I shouldn't say always going to be number one, but he will be better than LeBron, in my opinion, because of the Maverick series. I, I, I've never seen a great player do what LeBron did that first final run uh, versus Dallas, right? But the comparison, not to get off on the tangent, the comparison between LeBron and Michael Jordan will always be there. No matter who you think is number one, no matter what you think about either player, there will always be a comparison. And one of the comparisons that, I guess are is the most accurate is the fact that you could have gave Michael Jordan the MVP every single year. You honestly could have given him the MVP, especially once he got back from retirement. Once he came back from retirement, it was clear the NBA didn't want to. It was a fatigue, a fatigue factor as it relates to Michael Jordan winning most valuable player. And we're seeing it now with LeBron. Um, LeBron, if LeBron doesn't win MVP this year, and I don't think he will, He's not going to ever win it. He's not going to win it again. And that's kind of a crazy realization to have, considering he's the best player. He's had the best offensive season, arguably, in his entire career. But if I had a vote, I wouldn't vote for LeBron. I'd give it to James Harden. Um, 
the MVP isn't just a, uh, it's not a sprint. And LeBron James is, I guess, the final month and a half to two months, he's showing the world that he's the best player. And it's not even really close. I don't think that, you know, a lot of people thought Kevin Durant was, a lot of people thought after the finals that Kevin Durant had, you know, knocked off LeBron as the greatest player in the world today. And you, it's clear that, you know, that's not the case. Consider this. Kyrie Irving left Cleveland. <laughs> Kyrie Irving left Cleveland. Kevin Love had injuries. The Cavaliers, the Isaiah Thomas uh, experiment didn't work out. Tyron Lue leaves in the middle of the season because of health issues. And the Cleveland Cavaliers win one less game than they did last year. And that's off the strength of LeBron, Joe. Like, there's no other way you could, even if you are a LeBron hater, there's, there's no way you can ignore that. Like, there's just really nothing you can say. However, James Harden had a great season from day one to game 82. And, man, look, that can't be dismissed. LeBron, for obvious reasons, he can't, he's got to pace himself. He's played in God knows how many games over the last eight years. He knows his body better than anybody. And obviously what he is doing is working. He can't play like he used to. Like James Harden can currently play. And that's not, and you know, that's not James Harden's fault, you know? And he shouldn't be held, um, he shouldn't be kind of knocked off because of that. James Harden did what he had to do. James Harden had a lot of questions uh, about him individually after last year's playoffs. And he's coming into this postseason with a lot of questions back on him. But there were also questions about how Chris Paul and James Harden would work. I thought that those were silly questions, but those questions, they did exist. And we've seen that they've worked with flying colors. And that doesn't even take into account that Chris Paul was injured this year. So James Harden, to me, is the MVP. Uh, he's, he's finished runner-up twice before, and he finally gets his due this year. Rookie of the year. Like I said, we'll save that and defensive player of the year for the fourth quarter because that's part of a, a bigger topic, at least in my eyes. Coach of the year is interesting. If you would have asked me this a few weeks ago, I would have said Brad Stevens easily. Um, Brad Stevens, think about this. Their big, high-profile free agent signing this offseason, Gordon Hayward, went down in the first five minutes of the season. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? The first five minutes of the season, Isaiah Thomas was second team all NBA last year. They traded him. They got Kyrie and Kyrie played like 54 games this year. And the Boston Celtics still, still won 50 plus wins. They, they're still the second seed in there, a potential threat. Maybe not a threat to reach the finals like they, they thought they were at the beginning of the season, but they are a threat to any team, especially early on in the playoffs. And you ask yourself, why is Boston so dangerous? And shout out to Jason Tatum. Shout out to Jalen Brown. Both of those guys are very young, very promising players uh, with a uh, limitless ceiling on both of them. But the, the biggest reason why you fear the Celtics is because of Brad Stevens. He is amazing. And he still gets my coach of the year award, but it's much closer than I thought it was going to be a few weeks back. What Quinn Snyder, Dwayne Casey and Greg Popovich have done this year. Um, Greg Popovich doing this without Kawhi Leonard and not only without Kawhi Leonard, but with the, the, the drama and the, the 
rumors and all this other stuff swirling around his team for what seems like the first time in forever for that organization. And that team's still maximizing, squeezing every last drop of, you know, talent out of that roster. You know, I mean, what more can you say? He's, he's in the LeBron territory as well. Greg Popovich, you probably could give him coach of the year every single year. He's the greatest professional basketball coach of all time, in my opinion. I don't know if he ever wins it again. If he, if he doesn't get it this year without Kawhi, he's not going to get it again, at least from, in my opinion. But he's had a hell of a year. Dwayne Casey, you know, we're going to talk to CJ Lee a little bit later in the show. Th- this team has reinvented itself. The Raptors are going to finish the season with the second best record in the league. Think about that. The Toronto Raptors had the second best record in the league this season. You know, and it wasn't like they had a huge offseason signing. Their, their bench, obviously, is one of their biggest strengths. But they are playing in a different way. And the, the old saying is you can't teach old dog new tricks. Dwayne Casey has kind of, you know, shot that, that cliche down because as a, as a veteran head coach, he has changed a lot offensively and he's a defensive minded head coach but he has allowed his team to adapt and to change with the evolving times and you got to give him you got to give him a lot of credit for that and and Quinn Snyder man Utah was dead in the water dead in the water in the beginning of the year January 1st and the fact that they have run off the way they have and, and dominated teams outside of the Atlanta Hawks which is one of the strangest the strangest situations that have happened this season. Like Utah got swept by Atlanta. But outside of that, that the Hawks team, Utah has been dominant and they're one of the scariest teams in the league. And remember, they lost Gordon Hayward. They didn't trade him. They didn't get anything in return. They just lost Gordon Hayward and they didn't miss a beat. They didn't miss a beat. And if, and if Rudy Gobert wasn't injured, they probably have a better record than they did last year. And like they're, pushing a top two seed so shout out to Quinn Snyder but again Brad Stevens when you consider what he's lost you know never having not not having his full roster for one full game this entire year and still being a two seed I still have to give it to Brad Stevens moving forward most improved this one to me I'm not even going to waste that much time Victor Oladipo people killed uh the Pacers and you know what I'll tie most improved in executive of the year up at the same. Kevin Pritchard was killed by myself as well. And I'll be honest, right? But everybody y'all follow on Twitter, everybody that you listen to on podcasts or watch on television who talk about the NBA, if they real, if they can be an honest straight up with y'all, they killed Kevin Pritchard as well. When that trade went down, everybody looked around and was like, what? You traded Paul George for Victor Oladipo and uh, Sabonis? Here's and that that's was that was a legitimate criticism. And Kevin Pritchard somehow traded Paul George away. The Indiana Pacers got younger, they got cheaper, they got healthier, and they got better. They improved their win total from last season. Oladipo's not making the money that uh Paul George is making. Oladipo does not have the injury history that Paul George has. You got a second year player in Sabonis who has turned out to be a valuable asset to your team. And now you pair those two guys up with Miles Turner. Lance Stevenson somehow got kept his head on straight. Corey Joseph was a very good signing. And you look and you're like, yo, the Indiana Pacers are legit. So most improved to me, easily Victor Oladipo. Victor Oladipo, you're going to hear his name later on in this quarter because he, in my opinion, 
is an all-NBA player. And Kevin Pritchard, the fact that you could trade Paul George and get that type of return in a year where people, in an era where people always like, oh, man, you trade a superstar, you can never get anything great in return. Well, Kevin Pritchard not only got something great, he got something better. It literally impacted the team in a positive way. The team improved and got younger and got cheaper. When you do something like that, and I understand Daryl Morey got Chris Paul, right? I understand Danny Ainge uh, drafted Jason Tatum, traded for Kyrie Irving, all those things. Great, right? The Houston Rockets were a 50-plus win team last year. The Houston Rockets, you know what I mean? Like, I want to say they were the seconds that they lost to San Antonio because of James Harden, but it wasn't like, I mean, also, I don't know how much credit you can give Daryl Morey for Chris Paul choosing to go to Houston. You know what I mean? Like, he had the assets to make the trade work. But also remember, Daryl Morey wanted the trade for Carmelo Anthony. How different would this team be if Melo was on Houston? I don't know if they win 60-plus games. And Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge, man, he, he did a great job this offseason. Another guy who I thought was unfairly criticized, even by myself. However, the Celtics won 50-plus games last year. They won 50-plus games this year. The Pacers, what the Pacers have done is it defies logic to me. I, I don't know how they did it. So Indiana with the most improved executive of the year award. Six-man, Lou Williams. Again, that one isn't difficult at all. Um, but now we're going to get to the all-NBA teams. And this is where it gets fun. First team all-NBA is really simple, in my opinion. Damian Lillard. James Harden, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Anthony Davis. Those are the five. I know some of you guys probably hear that, like, wait, Kevin Durant's not going to make your first team All-NBA? Nah, he's not. He's not. And we could do it in a different number of ways, right? I think Giannis' year is better than Kevin Durant's year. That's not to say that Giannis is a better player than Kevin Durant. It's just that this season, Giannis played better. Oftentimes, we, we confuse the two. This is just an in-season award. I think Giannis's season was better than Kevin Durant, statistically. But then when you look at what has happened with the Warriors since Steph Curry has gone down, and I talked about it earlier, I, I'm genuinely looking at Kevin Durant like, bro, what, what's happening? You're like, dog, everybody coronated. Like you, you had the coronation. You were crowned the next guy in line. Why is this too much for you? Why... The Warriors should not struggle the way they do. Even, even with Steph Curry hurt. You still got Clay, you still got Draymond, you still got yourself, and you still got a really good bench. So Kevin Durant is second team on the NBA. He is joined on the second team by Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook. At the time of this recording, I don't know if he got a triple double for his last game of the year. I'm fairly certain he's going to get 16 rebounds for that last game. So I'm just going to go ahead and say. Russell Westbrook won MVP last year, in part because he averaged a triple-double. He then follows up a season averaging a triple-double with another season follow averaging a triple-double. It is amazing and impressive how athletic and how driven he is. So he is first, or second team All-NBA, as well as Victor Oladipo. I talked about Vic when the most improved player. Defensively, you know, a lot of guys aren't going to, you know, we get stuck with uh, two-way players. And a lot of times, guys' recognition and name recognition is better than what they actually produce on the floor. Victor Oladipo is a legit two-way monster. Offense, defense, 
That offense is built around his game, his playmaking. He takes on double teams each night, and he still straps on defense. Victor Oladipo, in my opinion, had a better season than DeMar DeRozan. And then when you consider Steph, Chris Paul, Kyrie, all these guys dealt with a lot of injuries and missed significant games. Victor Oladipo is my clear-cut second team on NBA selection. Uh, so that's Russ, Vic, Kevin Durant at, at the starting power forward spot on my second team, LaMarcus Aldridge. That he was able to carry San Antonio without Kawhi Leonard all year, essentially, with all the rumors. Um, they were talking about trading LaMarcus Aldridge this offseason, and he had one of his best seasons to date. So he's my forward at the second team, and then I'm going Carl Anthony Towns at the five. Carl Anthony Towns is a center, and he, what, he's part of the uh, 50, 40, 85 free throw percent club. So he shot 50% from the field, 40%. Uh, from the three-point line and 85% from the free throw line as a center. I think that is crazy. Third team, and this is where it gets tricky. Because there have been so many injuries, so many injuries. Um, I'm going Chris Paul as the third team guard over guys like Steph and even Kyrie. Uh, the fact that Chris Paul, I mean, his numbers, obviously, we know about Chris Paul um, and how he is as a playmaker, a floor general. But they also won. They're the only team that won 60 games this year. And, you know, that means something. He changed the culture in Houston. Houston needed a shakeup, and they got it with Chris Paul, allowing James Harden to go back to the two-guard spot and win, have an MVP caliber season. So I'm going Chris Paul, third team, going DeMar DeRozan as my two-guard. This is tricky. Jimmy Butler had a hell of a year, man. And he missed a lot of games down the stretch, but I'm still going to put him at, at my three. He, he, I know he's a two-guard, but him and Andrew Wiggins, they swap spots a lot. So I'm putting Jimmy Butler as my third-team third small forward. And then, again, it's, 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 this is tough, man. Like, this is really hard when you try to break it down, but I'm going to go Paul George as my, my, my second forward, even though he's a three. I'm cheating, I know, man, but it's hard. Think about who the best power forwards in this game are. You can't give it to Kevin Love because he missed so much. So, Paul George, I'm going to give him third team honors. And then at the five, I'm going Joel Embiid as my third team All-NBA center. Let me know if you guys agree with my thoughts, my takes. Those are my end of the season awards, at least how I think they should be. But if you disagree, make sure you hit me up. You can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or you can email me. You can email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Let me know if you agree, disagree, or just want to, you know, get your voice heard on the podcast, man. I love you guys. I, I thank you for listening each and every week. You guys make the show better. So let me know your thoughts on my end of the season awards or anything that I have to say on the show. All right, guys, you heard the horn. So, of course, that means halftime is here. But before we get to halftime, it's time for stoppage time on the show. Stoppage time is a little thing we do where, again, I let you, the listeners, interact with me for the show. You got any questions, you got any concerns, whatever the case may be, you let me know. And I try to answer your questions or your responses, however you give them to me. I try to respond and answer them and, you know, have a moment to share with you all, the listeners. So, without further ado, the first email comes from Erica from Akakeek. Shout out to Akakeek, matter of fact, uh, this weekend. Jared Hurd, he's from Akakeek, Maryland as well. He won a, a huge fight, in my opinion, thus far, the fight of the year. 
uh, versus Arislani Lara. So, you know, shout out to Akakik. Uh, you got a champion on your hands and um, uh, uh, an exciting fighter as well. But Erica asks, well, not really asks. She says, you guys were hating on my baby Drake last week, uh, but he dropped the, the, the summer hit, she says. Do you like the new song or are you going to continue your Drake hate? All right, so Erica, man, I wanted to make it perfectly clear. I am not a Drake hater. You know, there are a lot of people who hate everything Drake does. Last week's show, Chris Miles and I were talking about, you know, who who dominated rap since 2010. And, and while Drake may not be uh, someone who I look at at the same, um, I don't look at him with the same reverence as someone like Kendrick, I respect Drake to the fact that he knows what people like to hear. And he's on. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, he may not be my favorite rapper, but I respect the hell out of him because he knows the pulse of the people. And nothing, nothing illustrates this better than a song he dropped last week. It was, um, I forget the name of it. I'm sorry. I'm blanking on it. Um, but y'all know the joint. He had the, the New Orleans bounce, got the, the Lauren Hill hook. Um now what? Something like that. I don't know. I I don't. I, the name escapes me. But this is how I know Drake is on. I don't like the new song. I'm sorry. It's not me hating. I just don't get down to it. I was surprised at how many people love that joint. Like people love instantly. That's one thing I don't understand about this new generation. Like, y'all hear something one time and y'all ready to to crown it a classic. Whatever. I know I sound like a grumpy old man. Whatever. That's how I'm getting now. I didn't really rock with it. But this is how I know Drake is on. Right, like on for real, for real. This song, everybody was like saluting it, like, "Yo, he's got he's bringing the New Orleans bounce song, uh, sound back," and oh, he's got the feeling like you know, no limit and what uh, cash money in the nine nine or whatever, whatever, whatever. Rewind just like four years ago, Tip had a song on the Triple Man album. I don't remember the name of that joint, but he had the same New Orleans bounce to that song as well, and. He had Wayne on it. I think Manny Fresh did the beat. Wayne and Tip was spitting harder than what Drake was spitting on this new song. But nobody was rocking with the Tip song like that a few years ago. You feel me? Like, there, if you really want to get down with the New Orleans Battle Joint, man, you can listen to Magic. You know what I'm saying? Fiend, C-Mart. Like, there are a bunch of Soldier Slim, God Bless the Dead. Go back and do your history. You feel me? So, the fact that Drake could put this song out, and it's, again, Shout out to Drake. He he peeped something with the in the audience that I couldn't ever I could never do. You understand? I don't understand how Bama's I don't know why people like it. I heard it and I was like, ah. But some of my homeboys like, yo, I rock with this joint. So, I mean, to be able to have that type of impact, that says something. Whether I like it or not. But Erica, I don't think of myself as a Drake hater. It's just not my cup of tea. You feel me? But thanks for the email. Second email, this one is coming from Justin from Bethesda. And Justin, shout out to you, bro. I don't know how much you listen to the show, but I appreciate you you're emailing me. He says, Armand, I, I want to hear your thoughts on my nationals. Uh, we started the season pretty rough. Do you think it's time to hit the panic button? Number one, Justin, I don't really talk baseball. <laughs> you feel me? Not a knock on you guys. Baseball ain't my cup of tea either. You feel me? In fact, I like Drake more than I like baseball by a wide margin. One thing I don't like, though, is, you know, people who go out of their way to express why they don't like something, like a sport particularly. I mean, there are a lot of people who hate the NBA for whatever reason. 
But they can't just let us have fun. And you're going to see it on Saturday. I'm super excited for the start of the playoffs. First day of the playoffs is like a holiday in the Lee household. But you're going to see it if you're on Twitter or whatever the case may be. People just going to go out of their way to talk about why they hate the NBA. Y'all lame as hell for doing that. So with that being said, I don't go out of my way to talk about my displeasures with baseball. It's just not for me, which is cool because it's for a lot of other people. I just don't rock with it. Um, so that's why I don't talk about the Nationals. You're probably not going to hear me talk baseball for most of the time of me doing this show. However, there is a, there are 162 games in the baseball season. 162 games. There is no need for any baseball fan. No matter, you could be a Marlins fan, bro, and your team doesn't even, your team is clearly rolling around in dirt. There's no reason for you to hit the panic button. It's 162 games. I think you guys have played like 15 games at this point. Chill out, bro. But I appreciate the email, Justin. Chill out. Don't worry about the Nationals, all right? All right, guys. So that was stoppage time again. Email me, tweet me at the show, and each and every, or every other week, I should say, I'll try to get in contact with you guys and uh, interact with your questions or concerns. So thank you, thank you again for getting involved with the show. But halftime is here, and uh, as always, and it's my favorite halftime, it's where the two generations of Lees get together and talk about our favorite color commentator, of course, I'm talking about Bill Walton, and of course, I'm talking about the princess of my household, my daughter. So, without further ado, another installment of Bill Walton's Words of Wisdom. It's time now for Bill Walton's Words of Wisdom. Greg Ostertag is one of the top centers on this planet. One time. Hey, I'm for anything that keeps Charlie Ward out of the game. Please. I told Luke, you're long, you're rich, and you're living in Beverly Hills. If you're not having the time of your life right now, I have failed you as a father. Throw down. That was... Bill Walton's words of wisdom. Yeah, I can't lie. Being a father is literally the greatest thing in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, playoffs are about to start. My poor baby, she still asks me if the Knicks are going to make the playoffs. <laughs> and each time, I'm telling her, nah, baby, we're not that good. But she's still geeked up, man. She's excited about the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? And she loves doing this Bill Walton thing, man. I, Y'all, I can't even properly describe how big of a spot how happy that makes me feel slim y'all could tell me y'all hate that segment you know what i'm saying and i'd still do that jank just because the strength of my baby so you know i hope y'all did enjoy that because i love that segment out of anything that i've done on this show those are by far my favorite segments but enough about that man because you know i can get into daddy mode real quick and i'll talk about my little girl all so long but we're gonna keep things moving right the first half is done we went into the halftime locker room. We did some adjustments, got some new strategy to finish up strong, starting with the interview this week, a special guest, someone who is coming from north of the border to break down the East top seed Toronto Raptors. My interview with C. Jolie, 
for our third topic. Today. Third quarter. You can check out her stuff at itscjolie.com and follow her on Twitter at itscjolie. That's J-O-L-I-E. She is the founder of Creative Engage and covers the Toronto Raptors north of the border. CJ Lee, thank you so very much for joining me on the Quarterly Report. No problem. I'm happy to be joining you. So the playoffs start in just a few days, and the Toronto Raptors, who have been the best team in the Eastern Conference by a mile this entire year, they actually ended up being the second-best team in the league record-wise, winning 59 games. They are about to play the team who's closer, closest to me, the Washington Wizards, in the first round. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious, stateside, you know, there's this narrative regarding the Raptors that they don't perform in the playoffs. And I'm curious how much disrespect do the team and the fans in Toronto feel as it pertains to the stigma that's attached to the Raptors who, again, are having the second best season this year coupled with an impressive regular season last year. Yeah, it gets frustrating as someone from Toronto and someone as a fan because we have such a we had such a great season and people love to bring up the past um of the Raptors and the thing with that is the team has changed this year in the sense that the bench has such a bigger role than right. the past the previous years. So um it's frustrating because I don't think a lot of um, American fans, um, especially the casual ones, don't really take in how well the Raptors are playing. And on top of that, we don't get um, a lot of our games on that on the national schedule. So um, I feel like a lot of Americans are just coming, are basing stuff off of um, just playoffs and not really regular season play. Yeah, I can imagine how frustrating that is. And look, I got to be honest, I've been dismissive of the Raptors uh, and their playoff hopes in the past as recently as a few weeks ago. But the idea that the Raptors don't play well in the playoffs is kind of untrue. I mean, two years ago, you guys went to the Eastern Conference Championships and lost in six games to the Cleveland Cavaliers, the team who eventually won the championship. So the idea that you guys don't play well in the postseason, at least recently, just isn't true. Exactly. And compared to that uh, Eastern Conference Finals run that we had before, um, this year is just different because DeMar is playing at a different level and he's such a key player on our team. And then, you know, guys from the bench, Fred Van Vliet, um, DeLon Wright, um, they all come, come up and step up when they're on the court. So it's different this time around for sure. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guest this week, Miss C. Jolie. Make sure you follow her on Twitter at It's C. Jolie and check out her stuff at itscjolie.com. She covers the Raptors in Toronto and is the founder of Creative Engage. So we talked about, I guess, the perception of the Raptors, especially stateside. But I want to know in Toronto, because, you know, the Raptors, again, whether whether the perception is true or false, the idea here is that they fall apart once the playoffs begin. And you guys were running away with the conference. And up until a few weeks ago, it looks like you guys hit a bit of a rough patch. Obviously, Boston had more injuries to deal with, so they weren't able to catch you. But they did close the gap. So I'm curious, how concerned are the fans in Toronto about a potential um, playoff 
collapse versus the Wizards? Right. Well, um, it's, the fans are very optimistic, and we've always been a, an optimistic fan base. Um, right. It could be to the point that some fans are almost um, delusional. You know, they're going to say that they're going to win the, the championship. You know what I mean? Even though that's probably that's not going to be likely for this season. Um, but um, we're really optimistic. Um, when it comes to concern, I'm... I'm pretty positive that we're going to make a good run to the Eastern Conference Finals and um, that we have a really high chance of winning. So um, that optimism is definitely there. (laughs) I feel you. I feel you. Once again, guys, I'm joined by C. Jolie. You can check out her stuff at itscjolie.com and follow her on Twitter at itscjolie. She covers the Toronto Raptors, and she is the founder of Creative Engage. Uh, So... You know, having optimism for Toronto is fine. Obviously, like I said, they record-wise, they are the second-best team in the league. However, much is the case with every other Eastern Conference team the last eight or so years, every team falls victim in the East to LeBron. And that's been the Raptors' only kryptonite in recent years. You guys beat teams outside of LeBron. Um, That being said, the MVP race has been... Pretty fascinating this season. Uh, I've given my thoughts earlier in the show, but I'm curious what you or who you would view as MVP. Obviously, James Harden has dominated the season year-round, but LeBron came on strong the last two months. And, of course, that doesn't take into consideration guys like Damian Lillard and Anthony Davis who have been carrying their teams for a strong playoff push. So my last question to you is, who would you give this season's MVP award to? Most deserving, um... Hmm. I would definitely say, just based on the record and them being number one, give it to James Harden. It's right. um, he missed out on it last year, last season. So for him to get it, he's had a great season, and I think it's time <laughs> for right. him to get a, an MVP. Yeah, I have to agree with you. You know, after finishing first runner up twice in the last like three or four years, it's it's time for James to go ahead and win it. It is kind of crazy thinking about it, though. Like, LeBron has had such an amazing season. And like I said earlier, the team, what they finished, like, maybe one or two wins shy of their record last season with a healthy Kyrie. And that's just a testament to LeBron. It's amazing watching him play. Um, But I'm with you. I think James Harden should win MVP. But in doing so, that basically just means that we're not going to ever give LeBron James another MVP. And I'm cool with that. It's just crazy to think about. All right, guys, that was my guest. She is the founder of Creative Engage. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's at itscjolie. And you can check out her stuff on her website, itscjolie.com. Cjolie, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Toronto is my favorite city in the world. So, you know, good luck. I'm going to be pulling for the home team for me. But, you know, good luck for you guys in Toronto. And, you know, maybe I'm... I'm, up, I'm definitely going to be up there for Carabana in the six because I love it up there. But good luck to y'all. I hope you do too, and thank you for having me. All right, guys. So we are three quarters down, meaning there's one quarter left. So we're going to finish up strong with possibly my favorite aspect of this 2017-18 year in the NBA. It's our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. I've stated this several times in this show and in weeks past, but this NBA season has been one of the most memorable and one of my more favorite seasons for a wide variety of reasons. All show I've talked about on-court play. 
and you know giving out awards and that explains why i feel the the product on the court is so important and valuable and that that speaks to the last game of the regular season there are three games for playoff positioning the nuggets and the t-wolves are going into overtime for a playoff spot the raptors and the heat are playing in over i mean it was just so much fun that last regular season uh night in the in the league however that's just a little bit of why I've enjoyed this season so much, right? The on-court play in the NBA, while the most significant part of the game, is only about half of the reason why I've enjoyed this season so much. The other stuff, think about some of the drama we've had this year. J.R. Smith threw a bowl of soup at his assistant head coach. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The uh, the Rockets and the Clippers almost squared up there were a secret tunnel you know what i'm saying uh uh like mobs the the rockets went through like the secret hideaway to get to the clippers tunnel which is crazy you understand what i'm saying like there have been so much i mean russell westbrook averages another triple double boxes out carmelo anthony for one of the rebounds i mean it's just been fun on and off the floor joel and b versus Hassan Whiteside versus Russell Westbrook. Dog, this year has been so much fun. That has nothing to do with dribbling a basketball or shooting it. You understand what I'm saying? But on top of that, the number one reason I have enjoyed this season, and maybe it's because it's just so completely out of left field, right? There's no rhyme or reason to this. It's one of the best rivalries I've seen in sports in such a long time because it's completely organic. Right, It's not manufactured in the slightest because it's just so random. There is no history between these two cities. They've never met in an important game. You know what I'm saying? One team just got good, like overnight essentially. But they're so close together and they're both very young teams. And when you look at the trajectory of each conference, this is a legitimate potential finals kind of preview if you will in a handful of years and of course i'm talking about the utah jazz and the philadelphia 76ers like those two teams again you hear those names and you laugh <laughs> there's no reason why utah should be a rival with philly <laughs> you, know I mean? you can't think of two more polar opposite cities in in the nba right then you then Salt Lake City in Philadelphia. But here we are. And if you listen to the show for any significant amount of length, you know I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Shout out Southside Richmond, Virginia. You understand? Fisher Model School. That's my elementary school, baby. What's happening? Anyway, being from Richmond, and anybody who's from Maryland or further south can understand this. I grew up loving wrestling, loving wrestling. And I'm not talking about when wrestling got super cool with Stone Cold and The Rock and NWO. No, 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 no. I used to like wrestling when it was like crazy. Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, when it, we talking about like Abdullah the Butcher, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Ultimate Warrior, the Texas Tornado, obviously the Four Horsemen, you know what I'm saying? Like, Magnum T.I., all this stuff, like way, way, way back. You feel me? 
And one of the things that I loved about it was like the slow build, right? Slow build meaning that they would plant the seed of a rivalry, but it wouldn't fully develop into a long time further down the road. You know what I'm saying? They did that with Macho Man and Hulk Hogan, right? They was cool, and then a year later, they was beefing at WrestleMania. They did it with Ultimate Warrior Hulk Hogan. Like, the list goes on and on and on. And that's one of the reasons I love this Philly Utah beef or rivalry, if you will. It's not a rock that, again, they've never played a significant game against one another. But think about it. It started off, right, with defensive player of the year. You know, Rudy Gobert was hurt, and Joel Embiid was dominant, and Philadelphia is one of the better defensive teams in the league. And people were like, yo, you know what? Looks like Joel Embiid may run away with defensive player of the year. And then Rudy got healthy. And Utah just kept on winning. And it was amazing. This is like the third year in like his entire career thus far where literally him playing significantly changes the, the you know, the Jazz's win totals. Like, and not like a little bit, significantly. Remember, Utah lost Gordon Hayward. And everybody last year thought Gordon Hayward was Utah's best player only because he scored the most points. When it's clear, Rudy Gobert is so much better than Gordon Hayward. And I like Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward's a good player. So now you got a Joel Embiid, Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year kind of battle. But that that's just like an appetizer. Because Rookie of the Year somehow has taken center stage in the list of individual awards this season. Which sounds so crazy when the majority of the people, majority of casual fans, couldn't tell you who won Rookie of the Year last season. Right? By the way, FYI, it was Malcolm Brogdon, who doesn't even start for his team anymore, you know? But nonetheless, Rookie of the Year is not a prestigious award. It just isn't. It's cool to get. You know, if you're a competitor, of course you want to be acknowledged as the best rookie. But Michael Carter-Williams won Rookie of the Year. Mike Miller won Rookie of the Year. Like, let's not act as if... Think about it. Tyreek is a really good player. But in a, a year where Blake Griffin was drafted. He obviously was hurt. Steph Curry was drafted. James Harden was drafted. Tyreek Evans won Rookie of the Year. Okay? So it doesn't foreshadow much of anything, honestly. It just means, hey, you did fairly well this rookie year. But it has taken this Utah-Salt Lake City-Philadelphia rivalry to a whole nother level because Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell has, like, become, you know, Tupac and Biggie. You feel me? Like, everybody's got a side, and it's crazy. It's wild looking at this. But all the while, it's so much fun. Now, look, clearly, Ben Simmons, and I don't even think this is this is really even a tough debate. Ben Simmons has been, Ben Simmons should win Rookie of the Year. If you have an issue with whether or not Ben Simmons should be considered a rookie, that's not Ben's fault. And also, if you got a, if you got an issue with Ben being considered a rookie in 2018, I hope you had that same energy back in 2010, 2011, when John Wall didn't win Rookie of the Year because of Blake Griffin. Like, don't just start this stuff now. You feel me? You feel me? Like, be consistent. If you honestly don't think Ben Simmons should be a rookie, you should have felt this all throughout. You should have had a problem with it eight years ago. And the NBA, if they got an honest problem with it, Make the rule change, you know? 
But everybody talks about, you know, Ben Simmons had a, a year of practice and a year and all. Y'all forget, he didn't redshirt last year. He had surgery on his foot. He wasn't practicing. You know what I'm saying? And there was video of him, like, taking jump shots around March last season. So one night, I mean, look, he absolutely has an advantage by being in a, a professional for a full year, working on his diet, getting used to the travel. However, he didn't get used to playing, like, travel in terms of playing. You know? He didn't play last year. Donovan Mitchell played last year. So that's an advantage for Donovan. I mean, right? He actually was playing basketball. Ben wasn't. Wasn't playing competitive all season, last season. But I don't even want to get in the midst of why Ben Simmons should be Rookie of the Year. I think Ben Simmons should win Rookie of the Year. I don't think it's particularly close. And I also think Rudy Gobert should be Defensive Player of the Year. That that argument's a little bit closer. But I want to focus on the, the rivalry because another reason why this Salt Lake City Philadelphia rivalry is so amazing beyond the fact that it's just completely out of nowhere beyond the fact that there is no there's nothing that ties this, these two cities historically for them to be any type of rivalry but when you project forward in the NBA and this is another reason why this season has been so good look at the future stars LeBron I don't know how he's doing it he just had if not the best one of his three best offensive seasons and he's showing no signs of slowing down. But much like Tom Brady, at some point, it's going to happen. And it's probably not going to happen where you can you can foresee it. You know, Max Kellerman always talks about a cliff. And he says, like, that's what makes it a cliff. You don't see the drop-off coming. You're running, and you think you got an endless amount of ground to continue to run. And then all of a sudden, the ground just drops. And you just fall off a cliff. I don't know when the cliff is coming for LeBron or Tom Brady, for that matter, but Father Tom is undefeated. They say that for a reason. I can't imagine that LeBron is going to be able to put up these numbers for many more seasons left. And LeBron has dominated the Eastern Conference for over a decade. He's been there. He's, this will probably be, what, nine straight years in the finals or something like that, if he gets there. But even before he got, I mean, he got to the finals before he went to Miami, and he was going to Eastern Conference Championship. So he dominated the, the East for such a significant amount of time. And then out West, here the Warriors, they look like Voltron, but you're starting to see the cracks. And then at some point, they got to re-sign guys. There's, they just don't, I can't imagine them re-signing Clay, Draymond, and Steph for all the money that they could command while keeping Kevin Durant. I just don't see that happening. And then Houston, you know, Chris Paul, he's he and LeBron are the same age. And unlike LeBron, Chris Paul's body is starting to, to you know, to show its signs. So Houston is having a great season this year. Maybe they have another two or three. Maybe LeBron, maybe LeBron can be the dominant force for another year or two. And maybe Golden State can hold it together for, but in two years, I don't think this team is going to look the same. And that opens the door for the new blood of the NBA. And right now, you look at the young gunners. In the league, out west, Portland, you know, they got a nice young team. The Lakers, depending on what the Lakers do this offseason, they're going to have a nice young core. But I don't think any team, any team, and maybe Minnesota, but Jimmy Jimmy is young, but Jim, my cousin said this a few weeks ago, and it makes perfect sense. Jimmy is young, but Jimmy got old man miles. You feel me? So Jimmy's below, is under 30, 
but his game probably feels like he's 32. You know, so I don't know how long Towns is a monster. We got to see more from Wiggins, but I don't even think Minnesota's on Utah's level. I think the Western Conference, if Donovan Mitchell develops the way we think he is and Rudy Gobert, I don't need to see any, any more from him. He's a monster. And then all the other supplemented players that they have, man, Utah, Utah, they look to me like they're going to dominate the Western Conference after this Rockets-Warriors little run in a few years. And then you look out east, and I get why so many people don't like Philadelphia. Philadelphia, they're like the guy who has the bots. You know what I'm saying? For when, like, their new shoe releases and everybody else is going online, doing it the old-fashioned way, trying to refresh and get the shoes where this other dude, he's got, like, two or three bots, and they could just dominate, and he gets all the shoes, right? He's not really cheating, but there's a there's a spirit to what he's doing that, that seems unfair. Philadelphia rigged the system. Everybody killed the process, and now here you go. First year that the process is completed, Philadelphia has a real shot of getting to the NBA Finals this year. And a lot of people don't like it because it feels like they cut in line. And if you're a Wizards fan, you're damn right it feels like they cut in line because Philadelphia has the, the Wizards haven't won 50 games since the 70s. They haven't gone to a conference championship since the 70s. Philadelphia could do both of those things whenever they were ready to implement the process. That doesn't feel fair, but they didn't break any rules. But outside of Philadelphia in the East, I mean, Philly, Philly ran right past the Wizards, blew right by them, blew right past Toronto. I mean, Toronto has a number one seed, but do any of us expect them to beat Cleveland this year? Maybe they do, but I don't expect it. They blew right past Miami, right past Charlotte, like Detroit, all these teams who were trying to build things and do things the quote-unquote right way. Philadelphia was like, nah, forget that, boom. And then a three seed, the hottest team in the league, and their only rival in their conference, really, in terms of their age and, like, the, the projections, is Boston. And I told you about Boston last week. Boston has some really nice young players. Boston's young players can't see Philadelphia's young players. And, yeah, Boston, you know, I understand Gordon Hayward's coming back next season. And Kyrie, Kyrie, his situation is a lot, a lot more different. A lot different. A lot more different. A lot different than Hayward. So I'm a little worried about that if you're banking a lot on Kyrie. But Philadelphia, they really only have one roadblock as things stand right now in the East before dominating the East. And that's, you know, the Celtics. And look, side note, I love LeBron. I love LeBron. LeBron's my favorite basketball player of all time. Slim, if he plays in Philadelphia next year, I'm going to be so pissed. Like, we have a two, maybe three-year window where we got the Celtics we got Philadelphia, and we got whatever team LeBron is on if he stays in the East, gunning for conference supremacy. That's fun. That's a legit where you don't know who's going to win what. You just don't know. If LeBron goes to Philadelphia this offseason, oh, my God, I'm going to be so blown, Joe. I'm going to be so blown. He can go anywhere else. I don't care if he's a mercenary. Be Achilles. Achilles was a G. Fight for who? Fight for the highest bidder. There is something about that that is intriguing to me. I, I, I that appeals me. Don't go to Philadelphia because you see the wave that they about to get on, Joe. Don't do that. That's 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 very Kevin Durant ish. Not as bad, unless the Sixers beat Cleveland in the playoffs. Then it would be equally as bad as Durant. But I digress. The pathway is set, and you can see it much like you saw the build for. 
Macho Man versus Hulk Hogan way back when in the 80s or the Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan in the 90s, you know, or Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels in the night in the 90s as well. You you see the pathway is laid for a Jazz 76ers finals in the year 2020, 2021. And they've they've got and then at that point they would have history, but be history that it that really is inconsequential. Because again, they've never played in a meaningful game. But imagine next season. The first time Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell square up. The first time Embiid and Gobert square up. I mean, those four men are going to finish one, two, in two of the bigger individual awards this year. Rookie of the year, defensive player of the year. It's going to be one, two. And we know the Sixers talk big bleep, right? They talk big stuff. Gobert, Donovan, they don't, I mean, God, Donovan been flexing a little bit with like his sweatshirts or whatever. He got to stop that now. Though. That was funny the first night. Now, eh, like, chill out, bro. But imagine, because look, these are two young teams. Oh, Gobert and, and Beat are essentially the same age. And I think Ben, Ben and Donovan are both 21. So like, I think, Gobert's 25 and B's 24. Like they are literally not mirror images because each player's game is different, but they're on the same path to success. And they did it so different ways, and their fan bases are so different. But it's gonna be fun. That's what the NBA does better than any other professional league, in my opinion. They do fun. Throw soup at a head coach. It's funny. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, have the secret pathway to a brawl that doesn't that doesn't develop into anything, but hell, why not? Ennis Cantor could take shots at LeBron, and LeBron could go right back and take shots at Ennis Cantor. And it's just fun. And nothing, nothing has been more fun, at least in my opinion, this season, than the completely random rivalry between two cities that have no business being rivals, Salt Lake City and Philadelphia. All right, guys, that's the show this week. Once again, I want to thank my guest, C. Jolie. Remember, you guys, you can get in contact with me and interact with the show whenever you feel like it on a multiple of platforms. You can email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. That's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at quarterly show on Twitter. That's quarterly show. And remember, subscribe and rate the podcast we're on so many different platforms we're on stitcher we're on spotify we're on um apple Podcasts, google play pod the list goes on and on and on so wherever you listen to podcasts wherever your friends or family listen to podcasts make sure you tell them hey guys check out this podcast it's really dope i'd really appreciate it and while you're there rate and review the show give me some five stars let the world know let your friends know let your family know how dope the show is. And while we're at it, you know, doing a lot of house cleaning right now, you're on the gram. We're on the gram. On Instagram, check out our page, uh, The Quarterly Report. Again, that's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, Report. We got some really dope stuff, some behind-the-scenes um, sound from our interviews, as well as the Wire NBA mix comparisons that I'm doing as well. So, so much content, so much stuff. If you want to check out what we are doing over here at the Quarterly Report, I'd really appreciate it, as I always do. All right, guys, that's been another show. We'll see you right back here next week 
with a preview or a review of the first few games of the NBA playoffs, man. Y'all have fun. Enjoy the NBA playoffs this weekend because y'all know I will. And we'll see you right back here next week on the Quarterly Report.